Metric have just released their eighth album, Formatera. And we have two of Metric's prime movers with us to take you through the new record. Here are James Shaw and Emily Haynes to tell us how they give the people what they don't want. So why, what, and where is Formatera? actually in the studio we had this book that was one of those dream destinations books of like paradise places that you could go and you know a couple years into lockdown in a Canadian winter where I had the unpleasant revelation that every year actually has two winters (laughs) which somehow I had managed to miss up until that point um we were really as much as we felt so grateful to be able to work and we had the great studio and everything you know, we couldn't play, we couldn't get our band across the border. We were feeling so much sadness and grief for everything that was happening in the world. Right. And really starting to 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 lose it a little. So this book that we had, The Dream Destinations, we were like, let's just try today opening this to some random page and make that the kind of, you know, escape in our minds and see if that helps the mood here. Right. And the page that we turned to was Formentera, which is a place I've actually been in reality. Um, in reality. I I, yeah, I think I prefer the imaginary one that we created now, though. Um, it is a pristine island in the Mediterranean um, off of Visa, off the coast of Spain. Um, and we just that day composed the song that ended up being the heart of the album. And this whole kind of concept came together of creating an escape for yourself and and recognizing how little you actually have control over. We had this expression of the illusion of control that I think a lot of us, you know, kind of reckoned with in the last couple of years of realizing actually maybe it was, it was truly an illusion. And (laughs) once you get past the anxiety and fear of it, that there is actually a sense of freedom in letting go of that. So that's what we were trying to create for the listener with that song and that place. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, thank you for that. And of course, uh, the album begins with a 10 minute plus track that's it's like a it's like a dare almost. We dare you to get, you, to, to throw down this track. If you can get make it through here, you can make it through anything. Was that uh, was there much discussion about that choice? Oh, there was a there was a ton of discussion about that choice. I mean, the 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 song when we were making the song, we didn't uh, we didn't set out to do what we did. We didn't right. we didn't think to ourselves, okay, let's write like a four song in one ten and a half minute epic. Yeah, um, that, that goes from like a Berlin rave to a rock show in Manchester. You know, it's um, it was like we wrote. We, you know, we had this piece of music. Um, that me and this guy Liam had composed with a lot of synthesizers and you know it's electronic and we played it for Emily and she wrote um, some amazing uh, lyrics and, and, and melodies to the to the front half of the song you know we walked into the studio one day and she's like I think I got it let me just go at it without talking too much and laid down this amazing vocal for pretty much the whole first six minutes of the song um, in like you know one or two takes and that ended up being the actual vocal that's on the record and um and then we kind of realized, or Emily had this idea of sort of, it was a bit of a stark feeling just from that piece of music. So she wanted to add this sort of other piece 
um, and came in with this with this piano, you know, idea um, where the lyrics are a bit more sort of like a bit more of like a hug and a bit more explanatory and a bit more like, you know, trying to get you to go through the emotions as opposed to suppress them. Um, and then we sort of figured that that wasn't even enough and we needed this like giant sort of sonic mm -hmm. hug at the end to right. really feel like it's okay that you just listen to nine minutes of music the last minute and a half are going to just you know put you in a giant bed of guitars and, <laughs> and once we could have had this piece of music which was pretty early on in the process it definitely you know became sort of like um uh like a a, a marker for where we were going to try and get with the rest of the record um once we knew we had it it was became this sort of like elephant in the room we're like what are you going to do with it you know like it's it, it's gonna you can't really put it in the middle of the record because it just draws this huge divide between front right. half and back half. we yeah. didn't want to end with it because it's too good you know yeah. and yeah. um and then we were kind of like i think the only way forward with the maybe the most bold piece of music that we've written in our you know 250 year career then yep, yep. Uh, let's just let's just let's just get to it right off the bat you know let's just give the people what they want or what they don't want right 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 very cool very cool now you mentioned liam he's liam o'neill correct so yeah. is he he seems to be a major creative force in this record as well so how does he work into things well he's been like a he's been a collaborator and um part of the metric family for like a long time there was a sort of a classic moment in 2000 uh 10 or yeah, i think it was 10 when we were just working on synthetica he was still in the band the stills in montreal right um, and they were in, he was in toronto for like over the christmas holidays and there was a big party at my house and emily came up to me and she was like i think we should ask liam to stay for like a couple of days uh to work on the record with us and i was like i i can't think about this right now and right. then two minutes later liam came up to me and said hey emily asked me to stay and work on the record that's great i'll stay so he had a plan to stay for five days and he stayed in Toronto for five years and um, never really went back and became a pretty important part of the metric writing, recording experience. You know, he's like, he was, he made, he was a big part of the production on Synthetica um, and me and him have just sort of like nerded out and tweaked out on synthesizers for the last 10 years. And there you go. Uh, and so in about 2019 or something, me and him, we're just kind of hanging out in, in what's now our old studio and making all this electronic music. And then that that stuff became sort of a, a key ingredient to what Formentera became. Gotcha. So after 10 minutes of doom scrolling, we come to all uh, the, the next track is All Comes Crashing, which Emily, I believe you wrote kind of near the end of the making of the record. Tell me how, how that came about and why that seemed to be the obvious thing to follow doom scrolling. later and I um I you know I spent a lot of time at the piano uh and this was one where we had we had a lot of the pieces we had a lot of material and um I it's hard to describe I felt very single-minded about like what that I needed to write something that was the missing piece and I presented 
a few songs to Jimmy of, you know, what I thought were contenders for this missing piece. Right. And he immediately responded really strongly to All Comes Crashing, even though it was just like a really crappy recording of just, it's literally just vocal and piano. And he was like, that is it. Um, <laughs> and so that one is one that was pretty much as is. Um, and these guys, you know, pulled together the sonic palette around it. And then in a kind of amazing twist, um, Jimmy had struck up a friendship with Stuart White, who is like Beyonce's guy. Okay. And, you know, like <laughs> drives around with a microphone in his car, legend has it, so that anytime she ever needs him, you know, she's, right. he's got a microphone. But <laughs> they, they struck up a, yeah, struck up a friendship. And it was really just like a Hail Mary of like, you know, we have Gus Van Gogh mixing, we have um, Tony Hoffer mixing. We're happy with what we've got, but we were yep. like, maybe we'll just, I don't know, just reach out. And we were so fortunate that Stuart came on board and mixed All Comes Crashing. And then we were, you know, once he did that, we were like, no way, you really elevated this in a way that I can't quite articulate. Any chance you want to take a look at another song? And he was like, sure. And we kind of just snuck it by him that it was a 10 minute song. So he right. also mixed uh, Doom Scroller. Oh, great. So that, that top of the record, there's just like a sort of extra. Um, I love all the mixes on the record, but I love there's something in there that really created a cohesion for the top of the album, I feel. And All Comes Crashing is really like, you know, lyrically, it's my obsession with the idea that like conventional romantic love gets way too much airtime. And right. all the different kinds of love, the love that you feel for your friends, that you feel for your family, like, you know, the non-traditional life. Yep. Um, that's really, you know, what that song is about is like, who are your people? Maybe it is a conventional yeah. Right. you know, romantic relationship. But for a lot of us, you know, it's your best friend since you were 15 or, yep. or whoever else. So that song is really dedicated to whoever those people are in your life. And that theme kind of uh, shows up again in Paths in the Sky, doesn't it? Busted. Yeah. Totally. It's basically <laughs> right. my favorite song to write is that. <laughs> like, I love you, man, is like my main point as a writer. Uh, cool. So is there, does a narrative uh, form over time when you're writing these songs and you realize what it is, or do you go in knowing what you want to write about and what you want the album to be about? Yeah, it's, I wish that I felt more in control of, of what I write and Jimmy, you know, bless him 20 years in, you know, the dynamic of you need an editor and th thankfully Jimmy's, you know, patient with and interested in the stuff that I present, but you know, I think you'd agree, Jimmy, like, I, I, I'm sometimes I walk in and I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know why I wrote this. I don't know why, you know, like I'm writing like an eco, like warrior anthem, you know, with <laughs> minor chords. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell anyone's supposed to do with this, but we've done such interesting work. I feel as a result of being open-minded and giving like listeners, the benefit of the doubt that people can actually handle more than we, you know, people, I feel like people are so insecure. It's like, you know, give people something they don't want. <laughs> Maybe they'll <laughs> like it, you know, like, so I feel fortunate when I, you know, show up with the stuff that Jimmy can help, you know, kind of rein it in or shape it with me. But no, I, I generally just go to the piano. It's very meditative and weird. And I don't, I kind of find out later what I was trying to say. It's right. a very strange process. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting because when we were putting the album together nearing the end, you know, there was a few nights where it's like most of it was done and we were really just kind of dealing with the topic of sequencing, you know, and um, 
once we decided to lead with Doom Scroller, we kind of wrote out like a rough sequence and we listened to it from top to bottom. And then um, I remember walking into the backyard of the studio and thinking, wow, there's a narrative here that I had I never saw before. And and it, it's that uh it's very it's sort of a mirroring of the experience of the last two years, you know, the, the record really starts in a huge amount of stress and anxiety and turmoil and um you know, fear and um, and then it, the, when the, when Formentera comes in and the orchestra kind of brings you to this like imaginary place and you sort of bear witness to Emily like letting go of of expectations of um, of of the the illusion of control um, and after that moment the record really just kind of opens up into this really freeing feeling um, right. which I think. When we were sequencing it in January 2022, you know, seven months ago, yep. um, we felt like was going to be the feeling now. It turns out it's not totally the feeling now, Yeah, uh, but it's okay. You know, we're trying to like manifest a reality in the world. So, so what is the feeling now? What, how are things? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so strange because that was really a preoccupation um, you know, if there was anything that I was trying to, you know, sort of steer in terms of the the mood and the spirit of what we made is we were like, you know, this has to be this, this celebratory soundtrack for all yeah. of us getting back together. Like, you know, and the idea in Doom Scroller that you do overcome that, you know, like you take something for the pain, not to conceal it, to actually to magnify it so you can genuinely be free of it right like yep. this is we're not we're not joking around here this is serious like we need this and i feel like people really need this and then it's been a very disconcerting to uh, particularly for me because i think i'm sort of i'm i'm really uh noticing again and more harshly lately that like for better or worse, I just think I'm still just very naive about the world and right. i think it allows me to keep going and keep writing but right. i do get pretty crushed where it's like it's just sort of sad I, I genuinely thought there was gonna be like the whole world learned so much and like we're all connected in this way that we see deeper and there's like this like you know transcendent moment of evolution that happens and you know I think maybe that's coming but the reality yeah. is in fact, I feel that we've come out of this time more polarized, polarized, yeah. more, yeah. more lonely, more isolated, and more focused on our differences than ever. And then yeah. it's been a bit like we came out very like, guys, like, let's do this. And, you know, we haven't even started touring yet. And I'm already a little like, whoa, I got to change my frequency, right? get a little lower and yeah. accept that, like, this is not the, uh, that euphoric moment, probably. For some reason, what, as you're saying that, I've got, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Totally. Through my head. <laughs> a little bit, a little yeah. bit. And you know what? That I was just, there's a book that I really want to pick up just because I love the title I was reading about it yesterday, Toxic Positivity. You're right. Um, because I really think that's a key distinction. And we talk about it internally all the time of like, you know, because we live our lives together. This band, it's been yeah. over 20 years and, you know, there's a culture in our reality and how we approach things. And, really the distinction between being someone who's constantly spinning things or 
glossing things over, looking on the bright side or silver lining bullshit. It's like, that's actually like a really like unhelpful and unwelcome (laughs) approach. And, but when you're genuinely trying to generate optimism, energy, motivation, you know, like determination, all those, those genuine authentic things, it's, it's really like a fine line. So we're always paying attention to that distinction, you know, being like, there's a difference. And this record is not saying like, Hey man, like, let's teach the world this thing. Like everything's okay. It's like, it's more saying like, let's just be real with, uh, with how not okay it is. Right. Right. And try to still have a, still have a good time. <laughs> still have a good time. And unfortunately our time is about to end. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm just briefly, if you can just tell me how's the reaction been, the record's been out a couple of weeks now. So have you been getting fans interacting and coming up with stuff that makes it feel all worthwhile? Yeah, that's actually really, it's been quite amazing. And, uh, you know, it does definitely feel like this, the, the squeezing out of the middle that's happening yeah. Yeah. globally, you know, um, that it's like, it's very, it's really kind of reaffirming to see that there's a lot of people that don't just need like nothing against Beyonce, but right. just only need Beyonce, you know? And yeah. we found there's a lot of people, a lot of people we're doing interviews with, podcasts with, fan comments, you know, um, that are like, people really need the stuff that's just coming from other people yeah. and not yeah. coming from like, you know, drop down from the heavens for, for you know, the people to scrounge around in. And um, it's it's been really a really wonderful experience so far to just sort of see that this music has a place in the world and, and the, 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 you know, the amount of, of hard work that we put into this stuff resonates with people. And cool. uh, it's, it's really been great. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for sharing all that with me. Hopefully we'll get to see you down here again sometime soon. Once... Like I said, that's, that's, it's on you now. Yeah, it's I know. I, all right. I'll take the full responsibility for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. Good luck with everything. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, right. Mike. Hey, bye-bye.